Good evening. It's very interesting to read about the positive press that was received in the West Valley of Arizona, and it all centered around the volunteer police officers that made up that force in the various towns in that greater Phoenix area. They, in response to uh, a civic-mindedness all throughout that valley, there were several who had an interest in helping to keep the peace that caused them to come and to volunteer themselves in service to those who were paid uh, full-time police officers. And as it was reported in the various places, for one example that was given in the article, in Surprise, Arizona, what started out as a few unpaid volunteers with a used 1997 truck grew to a fully uniformed force, a force of 68 officers with marked vehicles. And the thing about these volunteers was they had to be subjected to the same kind of standards. They had to take polygraph tests. They had to to go through various training, just like full-time paid police officers went through. And the Glendale police commissioner said, with regard to those in his area, he says they seem to have a better attitude than those that are paid and do it full time. They want to come and help. When I thought about that article and what was said about the individuals who were serving in it is that there's so much admiration for individuals like these volunteer police officers Because they serve, not because they have to, but because they want to. The U.S. Department of Labor Statistics publishes the top ten jobs and what particular occupations they are. And it's interesting to find that most of the top ten are what we would consider to be in the service industry. We're talking about customer service representatives or waiters or waitresses or clerks or cashiers. Uh, in, in various different jobs that make up what we would call the service industry. And it's interesting that with regard to the service industry, one of the major complaints is that there's trouble there. Maybe you feel like that you're neglected. Or perhaps you feel like that there is a bad attitude that's being exhibited. Or there's a certain incompetency or a detachedness or a lack of care. That's often said in surveys. Those in that industry complain that the the customer service industry just really is a misnomer because there's not service. Now, there may be a great many different reasons behind this, but it seems to me that one of the leading reasons is that we as a culture are not oriented to serve. On the whole, we are more oriented toward being served. And that's something that's true no matter what occupation we find ourselves in or what it is that we do in this life. But you know, that's not a 21st century problem. That's a problem that existed even in Jesus' day. And you may recall on one occasion that Jesus calls his disciples to him and he says that you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise authority over them and they that are great exercise dominion over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be chief among you, let him be your minister. And whoever will be first among you, let him be uh, your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came with a transformative message. When we think about the quality of humility, it was not something that was honored in society before Jesus came to this earth. 
When you look at the three prevailing societies into which Jesus was born, the Greek society, the Roman society, and the Jewish society, they saw humility, that is, expressing service to somebody that would be lower in society than you, that that was dishonorable. That was an embarrassment, that you should never do that. Now, somebody who was higher than you in society, you owed it to them to show them deference and to show them a a respect. But what Jesus did was he came and he showed us that greatness comes in service. There's no doubt when you read, and I appreciate Chuck reading it this morning, that when you look at Jesus and the prophecy in Isaiah, that when they were looking for the Messiah, they were looking for the suffering servant. And yet when he came and he ministered among them and he did miracles and he taught, and as he was among the people, ultimately they rejected him. Do you remember in Mark chapter 15, they had a choice of either Barabbas, a criminal who was, uh, had committed murder in his rebellion, or Jesus. Which one did they want? They said, release to us Barabbas. And when asked about Jesus, they said, crucify him. Mark 15, verse 13 and 14. It's still the truth, I believe, that if we're not properly informed in our mind that we don't see service as greatness and as honorable and as something through which God is glorified in the service that we provide. If you examine the letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, a letter that we have looked at in its entirety before, that was a problem there. There was a lack of a willingness to serve. And we don't sit in judgment. Sometimes it's not easy to serve other people, is it? We like to serve the friendly family. We love to serve the benign brother or the sweet sister. But what about those for whom it's not always pleasurable to serve? That is not that where they don't always make it easy. If a church is ever going to be great, it is going to be a church that serves. And the Apostle Paul, he, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, lays that out for us in what I believe to be a very interesting and unique way. As we walk through Philippians chapter 3, there are only three things that the Apostle Paul does for us. He is going to give us some examples of selfless service. He is going to give us some commands with regard to how to be selfless servants. And he's going to give us some application into how selfless service looks in and among the body of Christ. So that being the case, I'd like for us to look at that together for just a few moments tonight. In Philippians chapter 2, the first thing that we notice in serving one another are the examples. And the Apostle Paul gives us three examples. The examples that we see in Philippians, first of all, is the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the greatest example of service. When we read about him in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through verse 11, these are some of the most well-known Uh, verses in the entire New Testament. It is commonly thought that this was sung by the early church. It was called the Kenosis Hymn. And as they would have sung that, or if they would have had that read together, the idea was, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, thought it not a thing to be grasped to be equal with God. But he emptied himself, and he lowered himself, and he humbled himself. The Apostle Paul points to Jesus as an example of service, and he says that he became a bondservant. Now, the idea of a bondservant is of one who is totally under the control of another. It is one who is a slave, who serves at the pleasure and the good wishes of another. 
The Bible tells us that the one who existed with God from eternity as God, you can't get higher than that, you can't get more exalted than that, he demonstrates his greatness by his service. And he does that serving through two things. He lowers himself and he humbles himself. I want you to consider what it would be like. That is, he gave himself on behalf of the good of another. He emptied himself of all of his possessions for the good and in sacrifice to others. Suppose it was that you could say that you could lay legitimate claim to every possession and every penny of everything on this earth and you took all of that and you gave it away, all of it to the poor. And as the result of that, you benefited them. It would pale into everlasting insignificance compared to what Jesus did. He gave up equality with God in order to come to this earth and take on the role of a human being in order to sacrifice and to die on the cross for you and me. And the Apostle Paul says, though you can't do that, you'll never achieve that status in that place. I want you to lower yourself like Jesus did. If you want to ask yourself, how much should I reduce myself on behalf of another? How much should I extend myself for the good of someone else? Go the Jesus distance. Go as far as he did, and that will be your measuring stick. That will be how far you need to go. Now, what Paul says to us that we take note of is... That when Jesus did this, God highly exalted him. Now, nobody is ever going to occupy the place that Jesus occupies. But what Paul is telling us is that when we lower ourselves, that God is going to exalt us. God is going to lift us up. And that's the New Testament message. The Pharisees needed this. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12, and Jesus says to them that whoever uh, exalts himself is going to be abased, and whoever humbles himself, that's the one that's going to be exalted. Matthew 23 and verse 12. And Peter, who walks with his Lord for three years, he grasped this, and later on in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, he says that we're to show humility one toward another. And that when we humble ourselves, God is going to exalt us in due time. The church at Philippi needed to understand the greatness of the service project that they were involved in and to serve others above self, which he had said, as we saw a moment ago in Philippians 2, verse 1 through 4, Jesus is our example of how to do that. But then Paul gives us a second example. Paul then turns around and he says, there's also Timothy. Timothy is a servant. He is a genuine servant. He has a genuine concern. In verse 19 through 24, the Apostle Paul says that I have no one who is more like-minded than Timothy is. And Timothy is a servant like Jesus. In fact, Paul uses a form of the same word to talk about Timothy the servant that describes Jesus Christ. He was also one who was under the total control of another. But he was under the control of Jesus Christ. He was one who not only had genuine concern for them, Paul said, I can entrust him with this work because I know he cares about you. Not everybody does, but Timothy does. In fact, I know this because he served me like a child serves his father. But then Paul also says, you know his proven worth. Now, here's a remarkable thing to consider about Timothy. Timothy's not from Philippi. When we first encounter Timothy, it's in Acts chapter 16 and verse 3, and we have this young man who has a believing mother and a father that's not, and he is known there, this one of Derby and Lystra and Iconium. He is one who's known and has a good reputation among the church. 
But now we're talking about 500 miles northwest of Lystra and Iconium. And the Apostle Paul could say about him, you know his proven worth. You know, when it comes to service, we don't have to tell people. We don't have to paint a sign and walk around saying, I'm a servant of Christ. What people know. That proven worth is seen through that genuine concern. And then there's a third example that the Apostle Paul gives us in showing us the value and the importance of being a serving church and a serving people. And that's the example of Epaphroditus. Now Paul says that Epaphroditus is a servant too, but he uses a different word. It's the word lectorgos, the idea of, it's a compound word that means of the people work. And it's an individual who serves for the good of others, who meets their wants. And the Apostle Paul could say of Epaphroditus that he was an individual who served Paul's wants. But Paul also uses that word two times to refer to the church at Philippi. In verse 17, Paul says, you, the Philippian church, you had served in this role. You had met the needs and wants that I had. But then in verse 30, he says, there are some needs that you're not getting met. And Epaphroditus stepped into the gap and he did what it was that you had not done. He fulfilled that which you had left undone. When you look at Epaphroditus the servant, his service was so obvious and so transparent that he was an individual, verse 26, who was concerned, worried about the church there because they were worried about him and his physical condition. He brought himself close to the place of death in order to serve the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 30. And so what Paul does in this chapter to, to lay out for us this servant mindset that he wants us to have, God wants us to have, is he gives us three examples. I don't know about you, but it helps me. It helps me to see a living manifestation of a principle or a lesson that you want me to learn. Some of us learn in different ways, but all of us benefit from that tactile experience of being able to see it in motion. And that's how Jesus conducted himself in his earthly ministry. When he came and he selected those 12 apostles and he went uh, all over the region teaching and doing miracles, he was demonstrating for them what he wanted them to do. That's what Paul is doing for us. Everywhere I've ever preached, I have seen individuals who were the epitome of service. I've seen those Jesus-like and those Timothy-like and those Epaphroditus-like servants. God is telling us that greatness on the whole and greatness in the eyes of God as individuals comes when we take the examples that Scripture give us like this in service. But when we look at Philippians chapter 2, there is a second thing that we notice there, and that is that the Apostle Paul is giving us throughout most of the chapter these examples of service. But those examples are of a principle that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across. And by the way, that's the way the entire letter works. Paul's trying to get across the principle that there is a mind that you are to have. You are to have the same mind, a mind of unity toward one another, but you're also to have the mind of Christ. And so in between the examples, Paul pauses and says, now here's what I'm talking about. And so the major point that Paul is making in between that second, uh, that first example and the second and third example is in verse 12 through 18. There are three imperatives and they all have an expected outcome. As the Apostle Paul lays that out, he says, first of all, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
Sometimes we use this passage, and I think it's a good application of it, to say that each of us individually have got to make sure that we're obeying God's plan of salvation and we're doing what's right. Nobody else can do it for us. Nobody else can obey the gospel for us. But this appears in a context after which he has just mentioned the example of Jesus. What Jesus gave up in order to accomplish the will and the purpose of God and how God exalted him and gave him a name that was above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess. And right after that he says, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It means you're going to be obedient to the will of God. And being obedient to the will of God in this context was lowering yourself in the interests of others, putting other people's needs above your own. So we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But the next thing he says is to enact these examples, a, an imperative that you've got to follow is that you have also got to do all things without grumbling and disputing. We live in a world where it's very easy to do that. And grumbling and disputing are two very different things. That idea of grumbling is behind-the-scenes talk. It's that expression of dissatisfaction. It's things just can't suit me, and I'm just not going to be pleased no matter what. That's in a serve-me-oriented mindset in society. But then there's complaining. Complaining is debating. It's dissension. It's contention. And the Apostle Paul says that service is not going to take place unless we can eliminate those two things in a society where they're prevalent. He says you want to be blameless and you want to be harmless and you've got to be above reproach. How are you going to do that, Paul? You've got to eliminate that from your vocabulary. This grumbling and disputing, it must have been taking place in the church at Philippi. And Paul says you're not going to hit stride, you're not going to reach the needs of the lost around you unless you do that. Because you see what he says is... That's how we show ourselves as blameless and harmless and beyond reproach in this wicked and perverse generation. We're not going to be effective in soul winning, holding forth the word of life if people associate us with grumbling and disputing. It's the greatest form of service to reach out and help a lost soul. And then the Apostle Paul gives us a third admonition, a third imperative that has its intended consequence. And that is, I want you to rejoice and share your joy with me. Verse 18. You know, it ought to be an evident joy when we find ourselves serving those around us. The Apostle Paul is talking about an infectious mindset that he's going to demonstrate with Timothy and Epaphroditus, that when we grasp there is joy and service to God, and he'll say more about that in the application part, then we're going to be effective in spreading joy. I don't know that our society sees it that way, that there's joy that comes in rolling up our sleeves, whether literally or figuratively, in getting to the work of the Lord. But the Apostle Paul is saying that that's exactly the case. I want you to notice that after Paul has given us these examples and then he's given us these uh, commands that we are to obey in order to follow those examples, he gives us some practical application. That helps me. That helps me to know that when I have that practical application. And as the Apostle Paul gives that, I want you to notice that what he says is threefold. He says in the first place that your attitude is important as you are serving those around you. How do you see that visit to the shut-in? How do you see that task 
in which you are buying groceries for somebody who is in need. You, you see, when we examine things, we recognize that in our attitude makes all the difference in how successful that we are. And alongside of that, the Apostle Paul says that when you serve, God is at work in you to do His good pleasure. That's interesting how that play of words is there with regard to work. He says you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for as you do it, God is at work in you, both to do of His work and His good pleasure. The Apostle Paul, in, in speaking to us, says that God is your hands and your feet, what we often say in our prayers when we're serving for Him. Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21 says that God equips us for every good work. It helps me to know that when I serve, that God is working through me. The third principle that he gives there is that service is something that is knowable and provable. It's not when we sing about it. It's not when we pray about it. It's not when we believe that it's important that it gets done. It's when we actually are involved in the doing of it. Gordon MacDonald says you can know what kind of servant that you are based on how you act when you're treated like one. We spent uh, almost two hours this afternoon talking about some very exciting things. Lehman Avenue is a church that is growing. And the way that a church is going to grow is going to be through service. Apparently there was a problem, we discussed it before, at Philippi that was keeping them from growing. There was a dissension, there was a division among a couple of the members. And it was keeping them from the joy and the rejoicing that God wanted them to have. But the answer to that was through their imitation of great examples. Paul gives himself in Philippians 1. He gives one negative example in chapter 3 and then he gives himself again. And he gives those three in chapter 2 to tell us that the church is going to thrive. It's going to be united. It's going to enjoy those blessings. Blessings like consolation and uh, the fellowship of the Spirit and this association that comes in our working together to serve. The meeting today was about us trying to organize, to figure out how to be more effective in that. When God gives us opportunities, He wants us to make the most of them. But there's a mindset behind that if we're going to be successful. And the mindset is we're going to lower ourselves and we're going to do whatever we can to cause the body of Christ to grow. A song we sometimes sing, Make me a servant. Lord, make me like you. For you are a servant. Make me one too. That used to be that buildings had it. And when I grew up, most of our church buildings had that. The little sign over the door that said, you enter to worship, you leave to serve. As we're thinking about the uh, end of our time together on this Lord's Day, and we go out into the world this week, we're able to show what the world is looking for, and that is a servant's mindset that's proven by who we are and what we do. We're a representation of Christ and His mind. This evening it may be that you have a need to obey the gospel of Christ. Perhaps it is that you need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to lower yourself. Maybe there's something that's keeping you, perhaps it's pride, from making that decision. Perhaps you recognize that the greatness of Christ and what He has to offer is such that you want to submit yourself to His will and to follow Him. Maybe you're a child of God who needs to be restored to fellowship Maybe it is that you have a need and you need to ask us to pray to God on your behalf. If this is your invitation, we would encourage you to come as we stand and sing the song.